Welcome to the messages of Cornerstone Anglican Church. In this episode, Pastor Andrew unpacks more revelations from the writings of Paul and how we can remove our earthly veils and experience the promises of God. So let me ask you a question. Have you asked him? Jesus said, Ask the Lord of the harvest to send laborers. I'm sure you've heard Jesus say this before. I'm sure that this morning is not the first time that verse hit you and was in front of you. Why don't we ask? Jesus actually gives us a command. He says, ask the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the field. And you know why we don't ask? Or at least my gut feeling is why we don't ask. We don't believe the harvest is on. We actually can't see the harvest. Jesus is saying the harvest is ready. And you know, his disciples couldn't see it either. In John 4, when Jesus confronts the woman at the well and basically tells her her life story, she races back to her Samaritan town and tells everybody, this man told me everything I've ever done. Could he be the Messiah? Could he be the Christ? And they're all coming across the fields. And the disciples are busy with dinner. And Jesus tries to get their attention Don't you know that the harvest is on now? And he's pointing. doesn't say he's pointing, but I'm sure he's pointing. Can't you see them? They're actually coming across the fields, guys. Can't you see them? We actually can't see the harvest. Because if we could see it, we'd be so overwhelmed with the need for the labourers we would ask. So I'm going to challenge you and I'm going to challenge myself. We actually need to ask more often and more intensely. We had three long readings this morning. So I should at least say something from one of them. You know, the devil can pull the wool over our eyes, pretend he doesn't exist. And then he, he always blows it. I always found when the devil's got a scenario on, You'll always do this one little element more that makes you aware that it's the devil doing it, or at least instigating it. And we find that the disciples have returned, having been sent out in a mission, and saying, you know, even the demons are about it. It's over the moon about this. And Jesus wanted to just pull it in a bit and make them aware of just how tricky this arena of the demonic can really be. And it says that the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority 
to trample on snakes and scorpions and overcome all the power of the enemy and nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So God has given us an authority over the devil and the demonic. That's what the disciples were doing in the authority that Jesus had given to them. And he gives that authority to us. But he tells us not to rejoice in that, lest the devil gets the upper hand, but to rejoice that our names are written in heaven. Why? I was um, years ago heard an archdeacon call the deliverance minister demonic is working in the garbage heap. And yet you've got to do a bit of work in the garbage heap, but you don't have to stay in the garbage heap. Better to move out and sanitise yourself in Jesus and go back to him and recognise that at the end of the day, we're going to be at that banquet with Jesus in heaven forever. A place where Jesus tells us that he has prepared a mansion for us. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at Christ in you and Christ in us. Christ in you and us in Christ is not a new thought, but it's certainly a powerful one. There are 94 references to in Christ in the New Testament. But I want to pick up three. In 2 Corinthians 3.14, Paul writes, But their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. And Paul saw the law as something that prevented us coming to Christ. And we've noted in the last couple of weeks that there in the cross, not only did God put Jesus on the cross and us in Jesus, but he also put the law. Because the law can't give life. So what was their problem, referring to the Jewish community, in their reading the Old Testament? Because we read the Old Testament. And if there's a problem with them reading the Old Testament, is there a problem with us reading the Old Testament? And I would say, look, the Old Testament is really, really important. And most of the theology and Christology that comes to us in the New Testament comes out of the apostles and the writers reflecting on the Old Testament scriptures. They were the only scriptures they had. They didn't have the New Testament. So the basis and the foundation of their theology and their thinking is being drawn out of the Old Testament. So what on earth is Paul getting at here? And he's getting the sense of what they believe the Old Testament was. What had evolved since they'd come back 
from captivity in Babylon, what was the stream of thinking and theology that actually, in the end of the day, distanced them from Yahweh rather than drawing him closer? Because the whole essence of the name of Yahweh is God in the midst of you. He revealed that specifically to Moses because he was about to take his people out of Egypt, through the Red Sea, through the wilderness, into the Promised Land. And he was going to be with them day and night. But after the exile, the theologians got into thinking that Yahweh is such a holy name we needed to basically distance ourselves and not use it. And so what they did was they distanced the people of God from God and put the law in the place of intimacy. Rather than intimacy with Yahweh, now we had intimacy with the law. Rather than having and hearing Yahweh, we now hear the law. If you think about that, when you say, could you show me God and I'll give you a Bible. The Bible talks about God, reveals the nature of God, reveals the purpose of God. But the Bible is not God. If you want me to show you God, I'm going to introduce you to Jesus Christ. And so what Paul says, such was the veil that he blinded them to who Jesus Christ really is. And the veil only comes off in Christ. Now, on the cross, God put us in Jesus. Every human person on the planet, he put in Jesus on the cross. So that what Jesus did on the cross was there for everyone. The benefits are there for everyone. But they don't become effective until Christ is in us. We're in Christ on the cross but it's only effective for us and for anyone else when Christ is in us. And if we don't receive Christ in us, then it's not yet effective for us. And so our minds remain veiled. We can't see all that God has done for us in Christ. When the veil comes off, we see things we haven't seen before. And this is the thing. When you pray, God has already answered your prayer in what he did in Jesus on the cross. The means of everything that you and I need, God has already provided by what he did with Jesus on the cross followed by the resurrection from the dead. He puts us in Christ on the cross. In the resurrection, he enables Christ to be in us. And it's Christ in us that does some pretty awesome things. So one of the other little verses that has us in Christ is this one, which we are also familiar with, in 2 Corinthians 
5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. So in Christ, we can become a totally different person. And when Christ is in us, that becomes a reality. Us in Christ and Christ in us makes us a totally new creation. So it's an ongoing thing in the continuous Greek tense. If you felt in the last time that just things had just got muddled and difficult, you can start this day by saying, I am a new creation in Christ. The old is over and the new has come. And if you take that step in faith, you begin a new day. You begin a new era. The changes that will occur at the depths of our being will begin to infuse what we do and how we do it and change the things that are around us in miraculous ways. The next one comes out of Colossians 1, 26 to 28. Paul writes, To them God willed to make known the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This can be hard to get a hold of, especially if you're not feeling particularly great. You're not feeling God's hearing very well, or you think things are not moving the way they ought to be, or going the way they ought to be. But if you continue to turn this over and over, Christ in you, the hope of glory. It doesn't matter what's going on around us. And it doesn't matter how overwhelming the circumstances might be. And it doesn't matter how inadequate we might feel to overcome those circumstances or even to meet those circumstances. We can step out of the intensity of this and say, Christ in me, the hope of glory. That despite what the devil could throw at me and the world can throw at me, even when the devil decides to throw the kitchen sink as well, he can't hurt me. Isn't that what Jesus said to the disciples? Giving you authority. And nothing will harm you. I was reading that passage one night at King's Cross upstairs in my office. And there's this banging on the door. And I just read that nothing will harm you. Treader on scorpions and you've got this authority. And banging on the door and this voice saying, send out your guys, any guy will do. And I'll bash him. Now of course, being the director on duty, guess who's got to go to the door? So I go out the door, and here's this guy built like a tank, six foot six. He had dark glasses on, so I couldn't see his eyes. He says, I'm going to bash you. 
And being naive and stupid, I said, well, you could hit me, but you can't hurt me. Ten minutes later, my guys are getting me off the ground and took me inside. He just knocked me out, hit me on the nose. And do you know, I had no bruises, no cuts, had all my teeth. He had hit me, but he actually hadn't hurt me. So at least Jesus kept that bit of the word. And then he calls me out again. And I sort of very nervously went out this time and he said, he apologised, asked my forgiveness and gave his heart to Christ. I don't recommend that type of evangelism. You don't know when the harvest is going to hit you, but it's there. You don't know when you're going to bump into it, but it is certainly there doesn't matter the circumstances that you face. Christ in you is the hope of glory. Paul talks about when he had an illness that he'd asked God three times to take away. And three times God said, I'm not going to do it. And the reason was that God had given him this, what he called the thorn in the flesh, to keep him humble because of the revelations that he was getting. And his response was this, that God is strong in my weakness. So one of the things of Christ in us, and us in Christ, is that he can take that weakness that we have and turn it into a massive strength. Let me finish with this story. We are in college. We used to eat dinner in the main hall on these long tables. And this particular lunchtime, I was sitting next to one of my friends who was an atheist, and across from her was this other theological student. And they started getting into a conversation about abortion. Now, I understood why she was pro-abortion, he had no idea. And he was saying some really stupid things and getting her angry and angry. And so I got into the conversation inadvertently and it was quite a heated conversation. And it had two results at the end. My atheist friend came around that night and gave me this gift and apologised for getting so angry. And I said, I understood why you got angry because things were being said that just weren't easy to take from her point of view. But then I found myself on the carpet with the Director of Studies. And the Director of Studies said to me, do you think that was good pastoral care? And I said, no, I don't think that was good pastoral care at all. But it was good evangelism. Sometimes when we are evangelising, Sometimes when we're reaping the harvest, there's going to be a little bit of tension in the discussion. Don't be afraid of it. But don't shove the book down their throats. Be gentle and kind, but don't step back from the discussion. Even if you're not sure you've got all the answers, you probably don't. But you do not know what God can bring out of it. I remember that atheist friend of mine joining me in chapel one night 
and she knew she wasn't supposed to go forward for communion. I'd gone up and come back. She says, I know I shouldn't be doing this, but I'm going up there. And off she went. And she came back and she says, something happened to me up there. There you go. There you go. Something happened to me. Because Jesus, he's always in the mix. Jesus is not going to step back from any discussion that you and I are having with someone about him. We are never alone in those discussions. He is always there to help us to reap the harvest. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that not only are we in him, but he is in us. Lord, we pray that you would send laborers into the harvest and that we ask that we can join them in reaping that harvest and seeing men, women and children come to you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to hear more great messages from Pastor Andrew, check out our Facebook page or look us up on the net at cornerstone-church.com.au.